0: This is Radio Atlantic. I'm Isaac Dover. Well, I just got off a plane from Iowa. We've had the last debate before the actual voting starts. The candidates are a little less chummy now. The weather is a little colder and a Senate impeachment trial is about to begin. With all that going on, we thought it'd be nice to get a view from someone who knows politics, knows mass media, and has had his own complicated history with Donald Trump, the Republican Party, and fitting into where politics is now. This week's guest is Arnold Schwarzenegger former California governor, movie star, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. In Washington, we spend all this time thinking about a celebrity Republican who became a successful politician, all while kind of being a bit of a parody himself. If Trump is one version of that path, Schwarzenegger is a very, very different one. We talked about the nexus of politics and entertainment, the way forward on climate change, and what he says about the Republicans who are leaving the party, even though he insists, for all the problems he has with the direction of the GOP, He won't. We talked in his office in Santa Monica a few weeks ago when I was out in Los Angeles for the last Democratic debate. The place is kind of incredible. It's giant, posters of his movies, statues of iconic characters. I walked past Mr. Freeze and the Terminator on my way in. There was a predator. There's also the seal of the state of California on the door. And in the hallway, a mock-up of the one-millionth solar roof panel that had just been installed in California off an initiative he started as governor. Then, this crazy room he has in the back that's done up like we're back in Austria.
1: <laughs>
0: I've gotten to know him a bit over the years, which, let me tell you, is its own strange thing. But it's why he started off our interview making fun of me for trying to do what I always do and welcome our guest to the program. That's what I get for trying to be polite. Take a listen. So, I'll say a little introduction, then I'll say, uh, Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, thanks for being here on Radio Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> So why we're we're in a strange room. Can you tell me about this room? Well, I I don't know. It, it's it's not really a
1: strange room. It's normal for you. It's a, it's you a very normal room. It's a strange room for Los it, Angeles. It's it's a it's called the Austrian room and it's uh, basically decorated inside with wood, kind of the wood that we use in Austria inside homes that make it look kind of cozy. The room is decorated the way a farmhouse would be, a little farmhouse, where everything is kind of taking place in one room. There will be the table that we're sitting by right now, then next to it you will see a, a, a bed, because in the same room, the farmer would go to sleep in the afternoon, they can nap or at night sleep here. And then you have a, a, a grandfather's clock above with deer antlers and deers on it, which is handcuffed. You have the cradle here, that is kind of a cradle that's made in Austria, handmade in Austria. And I kids, used it I? for my kids. I used it when they were babies. So uh, because I'd take them always to the office, I try to always kind of slap them all over the place, wherever I was, if it's the gym or if it was at the office, so for them to get basically used to every kind of an environment. Yeah. And uh, and they loved it. So they would I would have that cradle out there next to my desk, and I attached a string to it. And then I rocked it, I just held it with one hand, like this while I was making phone calls, and it was rocking it, and they fell asleep, and so it was absolutely perfect because they were with me. And then when they woke up, they saw me, and they, I uh, uh, you know kind of held them for a little bit, then put them back again and. all So that's, so that's what the room is. It's a, what I do is, I, I, whenever I want to feel like that I'm kind of like in Austria, this is the room to come into because it looks totally different than the rest of my office.
0: It's been a big couple of weeks uh, on finishing a priority from your time as governor, uh, which is getting to a million solar rooftops. And I want to talk about how that fits into the the larger situation that we're at in, in combating climate change and the arguments over it. Let me start with this. When I say the words Green New Deal, what do, what do you hear? Um a slogan, uh,
1: kind of a marketing tool, something that is very well intentional, but uh, I think bogus, because that's what they always do. You know, they they call things different names and uh, different people talk about it. But to me, the only thing that really matters is, is how do we move forward with our goals? And this means that we stop increasing the amount of greenhouse gases and pollution that we put out there, and the idea is is to have the whole nation do that and have the whole world do that, and you don't have to call them, uh, you know, names or anything. Like this, but I understand also at the same time that you know that in everything it's always good. It kind of it's like a, it makes you feel like there's a new beginning now because we're calling it a different name. Or so, but my point always was is that there's only one deal, and that is the California deal. We in California have shown that it can be done and we have shown how to do it. And therefore, if the nation really wants to be serious in reducing greenhouse gases also by 25% like we did, all they have to do is copy us. That's what state's supposed to do to be the laboratory for the federal government. to just have the federal government copy very good ideas uh, done by various different states.
0: where did this all start from, the, the commitment to environmentalism? It, it has become such a defining part of how you are as a public figure, but it was not always uh, part of your thinking.
1: Um, it's, uh, you know, it's really wild that uh, when you campaign, you have certain goals, and there are certain things that you're really passionate about. And uh, then when you get in there, you uh, somehow, and now you fast forward the seven years that it was governor, then you realize that the things that really meant a lot to you, like for instance, to get the financial housing order, because California was uh, at a $38 billion uh, uh, in a deficit and it was growing, and I said to myself, we got to go and stop spending money we don't have. If I would become governor, you know, I would just stop spending and blah, 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 and all this kind of stuff. And I came up with certain rules and certain things I wanted to accomplish. But then when I, mean, I got in there, I realized that it was much harder than to just you know, have a plan like that. I was not about to dwell on that, what we didn't accomplish. I was trying to kind of like throughout the entire Seven years of being governor, trying to figure out the things that we can go and agree on and the things that we could do together. And so we started going in the direction of, like, for instance, the environment. I had a majority of Democrats there that, that were really interested in it. The Republicans hated it. There were only very few that were interested in that subject. I was very interested in the subject because I've heard the facts about how we are uh, really uh, creating an air that is... Um, Poisoning people, that is killing people, that is causing cancer, that is causing heart problems, that is causing cardiovascular problems, that is causing brain problems, and all of those things. Uh, We saw that uh, you know that fossil fuels uh, kind of destroying the the air, uh, the the the, the cleanliness of the of the ground and the water, and all of this. And so, I felt like, well, if my uh, ultimate responsibility is the safety of the people and to protect the people then I should really kind of kick in in a big way here and make a difference. And so I always looked at California as the most important place because it's the number one state that everyone looks at in the United States as kind of in a way for leadership, mm-hmm. you know, because we have that kind of a power. So I didn't just look at it as, let's solve the problems for California because you really can solve the problem just for California because it's called global warming, and it and pollution doesn't really have any boundaries. It doesn't stop at the border of California before it gets to uh, you know Arizona or to go to uh, you know Nevada or something like that, or to go to Mexico, wherever it is. So it just continues on around the world, and so we it's it's a much bigger issue. So therefore, I said to myself, I have to solve the problems in California and make that kind of not only good for California but an inspiration to other states and to other nations. So my goal was much bigger, right off the top. It was a global goal that we must have an impact uh, on the world. And it's no different than when I used to promote fitness and bodybuilding. You know, I didn't think, I realized that, wait a minute, now with the communication, we can really go out and travel around the world and really promote this worldwide and inspire people to exercise and to lift weights and to do this to get better in their sports, and to get healthier and uh, and you know, to slow down the aging process and all those things. So I felt like, well, we can do the same thing with the environment. It's kind of also has to do with health, but instead of the health of the body, it has to do with health of the earth, of the globe. And uh, so I started becoming somewhat obsessed about it. And start thinking about it all the time. What can we do? What else can we do? So we started, you know, having the low carbon fuel standard that we passed here in California, A B thirty-two, to reduce our greenhouse gases by twenty-five percent, to get our renewables up to fifty percent, uh, instead of having nineteen percent, which we had in the beginning. And uh, so goal after goal, the green building initiative and then incentives for buying electric cars and all of this stuff started come in. And uh, we were very successful on every level.
0: You just hit this one million uh, solar rooftop when you set that goal in 2006. People must have thought that that was ridiculous.
1: Well, it's uh, one of those things that where people say, uh, first of all, you know, uh, this is a huge, ambitious goal, and um, it's not going to happen for the next 10 years. The speed we are going now, it will be 30 years from now, but... The idea is to speed up the process very quickly and to make it happen, maybe in 10 or 20 or 15 years from now. And so we all had to kind of, you know, realize that this is not going to happen while we are in office. Now, that caused uh, and created somewhat of a challenge, because most politicians, as you know, like to go and declare victory. And they like to go and use their little victories in a campaign speech and when they go and get reelected and this goal was not going to do that none of us will be in office by the time we're going to celebrate the million uh, roofs and uh, so we had to really kind of like just look at each other and just say hey you know screw the victory We can always do that when we're out of office, I said. But let's just go for it because it's a big goal, and everyone out there is saying it's impossible. But isn't that great when everyone says it's impossible? Then let's just do it.
0: Do you get when people feel fatalistic, depressed about doing anything about climate change? To say maybe it is too late, Uh, maybe uh, we're just going to have to live with the planet being destroyed.
1: Well, you know, I never go for that kind of Mm -hmm. an answer because it's like uh, it's no different than when you are. Uh, you know, let's see, 85 years old, and you say, well, it's too late. Uh, you know, why am I why am I going to the gym and work out? Why should I do Pilates? Why should I go and, uh, you know, do some exercise or do some cardio work or something? It's, you know, it maybe is late, but it's not too late because still that person that is 85 can instead of, you know, wiping out with 87, maybe stretch it to 90. You know, we have a gene that determines when you die, but you can alter that. You can destroy it and set yourself back by drinking a lot, smoking a lot, and and eating shitty foods, and then you wipe out earlier. But you can also go and exercise and live a clean life and extend it by five years or 10 years the other way. I mean, look at Clint Eastwood is a perfect example of that. Guy's 90 years old and he's standing around at my Christmas party for hours and schmoozing with people in the sense of, does this guy never get tired? (laughs) But that's what he does on a set when he directs. So, you know, I think the way you live, he lives a healthy life. So the way you live it, it does make a difference. And it's also the same way with the environment. I think that if we all go and make an effort now, it's never too late. I think it would definitely have a huge impact. And I think... It's just the political will. Do the various different leaders have the political will? Everyone always admires heroes. Uh, But when it comes to the time of stepping up to the plate and becoming a hero yourself, that sometimes people kind of... Freak out, you know, what does that mean? I have to make now a commitment. I have to go and fight the oil companies. I have to fight the coal companies. I have to fight all of this, uh, you know, kind of lobbyists that are out there that are fighting for fossil fuels and uh, having a lot of power. Oh, my God, this is overwhelming. And I've seen it with leaders in Europe when I was governor, when I met with them. and I don't want to mention any names, uh, but I just tell you, I met, you know, uh, prime ministers, chancellors, uh, presidents. And they all just said, please don't do this in 2006. Don't go and and try to roll back the greenhouse gases. Or don't do the things with the tailpipe emission standards. Uh, They're too tough for us. I said, what do you mean too tough for us? We are giving you to 2014. It's 2006. So we are giving you eight years lead time because we don't want to punish any car companies. We want to say to the car companies, you've done a fantastic job. You made us move around from one place to the other in a very comfortable way over the years and uh, continue doing that. But we now have found out that the way we power our engines through fossil fuels is having damaging effects on the environment. And so let's slowly change, not overnight. We know that people have just bought you know new machines to build uh, equipment and to build cars. We don't want them to rip this all down from one day to the next. No, there's an eight-year lead time. And so... That was the idea. But they were scared of making any move. So I could see that there was really a lot of dragging and dragging on going on in Europe. And... um we were kind of way ahead in, in California. We built in the meantime the Tesla factory here in California, and then are building the cars that are the most successful cars. So we are moving in the right direction. And we have shown that it is possible that you can do those things, that you can confront those lobbyists and fight them on every step of the way. And on top of it, uh, we have also proven that you do not harm the economy or jobs. Because, because this is what they always say. Oh, this is, will be terrible for uh, for the jobs. We will lose jobs. We will have a terrible economy. The economy will go south, and you know this will be horrible for everybody. And in the meantime, in California, we are the number one economy in the United States, and we are the fifth largest economy
0: in the world. You know a lot about what people respond to you had a successful career in entertainment because of that you get politics are you surprised by what has become of politics at this point The 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 uh, cliche is that it's all become a show has it all become a show
1: i don't think that it has just become a show but i mean it's I think that politicians today concentrate too much on just winning again, the next election. And so therefore, they don't even give it that two year of grace period where they say, OK, let's go and get things done for two years. And then the next two years, we can fight. And uh, you know presidential elections are coming up. But let, uh, let's uh, at least get something done for two years. That's what it was in the old days. It was the same in, in in Sacramento, where people just said, you know, I can't go there, I can't vote for that because you know I'm up for re-election and I don't want someone to come in that is more to the right than me, or that is uh, you know more to the left than me. In order of things, and that's why we eventually got redistricting yeah. done because we'll they were so marked in into in their the districts, Democratic and Republican districts. But that's what's going on on a nationwide basis and um, it's, it's, it's all about how do we win the elections. But there were always, uh, you know, people forget that, that politics is a dirty business and that people do horrible things. And when I talk about horrible things, it's about just really being interested in their self-interest. It's, it's all about self-interest, what is good for me, rather than what is good for the country. Because if anyone would at all think about what's good for the country, they know what they're doing right now is not good for the country.
0: Let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more from the Austrian Room with Arnold Schwarzenegger. so much of our politics ends up being consumed by celebrity. And I think that that's true, not just obviously with Donald Trump, but on the, in the democratic presidential race, the people who are doing the best for the most part are people who were well known before the race started. Uh, the, the process plays out on TV for the most part. We have short attention spans. It does seem like maybe we're, we're, uh, in a place that we're the, the entertainment part of politics is consumed politics.
1: It, it, it is, but I mean, I think that um, we just have a wacky system. Yeah, We have created kind of, in a way, a show business system where you have a presidential campaign that lasts two years. It's my employment. So it's like, uh, exactly. <laughs> but it is, I think, it, it gets boring when you see the same people up there and arguing with each other and not only arguing with each other, but real fake and terrible acting, I have to say. I mean, they should take acting lessons, all of these people up there on the stage, because their acting is just so horrible when they attack each other and they try to be like acting out Uh, seriously, like, oh, it was appalling that you used to endorse this. And how could you have done that? Oh, my God. It was, like, horrendous. Uh, And they do this whole drama as it really affects their life. And then they walk off the stage again and smile and (laughs) laugh and, you know, have a good time and probably drink some schnapps together. (laughs) But, I mean, it's like... It's like it's show business, you know, and, and then it's all about, you know, who got the ratings up and who got the ratings down. And then the one that is sliding down a little bit, he always said is kind of like on the way out. And it's it's like for for two years, we, we now just have gotten close enough that we can say, OK, in a year from now is election. So this next year is going to be crucial. But we have already now had people dropping out yep. and we have already had this kind of warm-up period where we kind of like say, well, what was that all about? Uh,
0: let's talk gerrymandering for a moment. Uh, it's a cause that's important to you. I wonder what you would say to people, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, who look at what happened in California and say, listen, you wanted to reform the system, and it ended up being bad for Republicans. And so... It's important for us to have power to do these other things that we want to do that are priorities for Republicans that you might agree with or Democrats that they might agree with. And they say we can't go and change to what uh, would be uh, fairer districts. Uh, how, do, how does that choice work? If, if they say you want to make the fair districts, we want to keep the power so we can do the things that we think are important.
1: Well, It's clear again when you say we want to keep the power that it's self interest. It's a a, a selfish way uh, of thinking because uh, we know that the system is rigged and we know that it really hurts the country when Democrats and Republicans are so far apart with their ideology and they're so stuck in the ideological corners that they can't come together. So then nothing gets done. So, how do we stay? competitive as a nation the other countries move ahead china moves ahead european union moves ahead i mean there's a lot of these countries that are really india is moving ahead and i think that we have to really be competitive and uh, the only way we can be competitive is is if we collectively come together and say here are the things that we need to do in order to fix the problem but you would say
0: you should give up you should not be resistant to giving up power right which is what I mean the no, redis- not, not, what, not what really. you did to change the laws in California was bad for California Republicans well not really it was uh,
1: actually good for the Republicans but it means that you have to be competitive and if you cannot be competitive if you don't have better ideas than the Democrats then you're gonna lose if you're not in touch with your voters you're gonna lose if you're not in touch of what Californians need especially what women are looking for, and it was like the Republicans in California lost a huge amount of women. Why? Because those issues like education issues or environmental issues or health issues were not addressed by Republicans. They just were talking about money and uh, you know factories and uh, how do we protect the companies, how do we protect business and all that. That is all great. We should protect businesses and we should protect the economy and all this. But we have to at the same time have a sound health care system where people can go and get their treatments, and California is the number one state, and we should have the number one healthcare system, and that's what we should shoot for. But they had absolutely no interest in talking about that, and uh, and the same was with the environment. The, the women were very interested in a clean environment. They were worried about their kids and about the, the water they drink and all this stuff. And we couldn't even guarantee anymore that the water in every one of the towns is safe, uh, and that the ground is safe, uh, and so. The, the women were interested in those issues, and the Republicans were not at all. They kept denying that there is pollution. They kept denying that there is global warming. They kept denying this climate change and all this stuff when the sea waters are rising and there's dangers ahead. Uh, you know, and and the women just said, "Look, I'm out of here." Uh, so they so they they uh, kind of um, really did this to themselves. Not the redistricting. The redistricting just created the fear atmosphere that you had to be more competitive. So it was. It gave everyone a chance to win. So that's why I disagree with you that that when you say it makes you lose and you cannot protect your job, you can protect your job as much as an Olympic champion can protect his medal and come back again and do it again. But he has to be the best. This is the only way you can protect it. You cannot get shooed in uh, because you had already a medal that you could shoot in because the way the system works. And so what I wanted to create is I wanted to kind of take my uh, Republican hat off when I do that, which you have to do, because I didn't really want to look at who is an advantage or disadvantage. I just wanted to make it fair and even for everybody. and Everyone has the same shot, and everyone can go and campaign and, and show that they're performing, they have a vision, and they have a great goals for the state and all and then they get le- get elected. Look at me. I was in a state that was definitely 60% Democrats and 40% Republicans, and I got elected as a Republican because I, when I was in the campaign trail, talked about issues that were not just Republican issues, but there was environmental issues and healthcare issues and the immigration issues.
0: Let, let me ask you with your Republican hat on though, uh, there are a bunch of California Republicans who, are, who have left the Republican Party. The Republican Party has changed a lot in the last few years. Uh, Chad Mays, who's uh, the former Republican assembly leader in December, d- announced that he was leaving the Republican Party. He's a person you've worked with. You are not leaving the Republican Party. What makes you stay?
1: Well, it's, I think I'm a true Republican. If you look at uh, Ronald Reagan or if you look at President Nixon or President Lincoln, I mean, those were people that were fighting for equality. I mean Lincoln, think about that. I mean, it was really so far ahead when it comes to giving equal rights uh, to blacks and getting rid of slavery and giving them the voting rights, uh, you know, being inclusive. Uh, so I'm inclusive, so I see myself as that. I see myself as a Ronald Reagan Republican, uh, someone that is very, very good with protecting the economy, but also Good in protecting the environment i mean ronald reagan created the first air resources board here in california that enables us to really have total control over the environmental issue and be able to set goals like 50 percent renewables or reducing the greenhouse gases by 25 percent that all can be done through the air resources board which ronald reagan created when he was governor and the same thing is also the case with nixon nixon was you know, striving for he was first of all created the EPA uh, in in Washington there to protect the environment, but at the same time he wanted to have universal health care. So but that's the that kind Republican of a party, Republican.
0: Isn't that <coughs> isn't that kind of Republican gone? Isn't that Republican party dead?
1: No, the the party changes, but you don't have to change your principles. The party changes, indeed, can, can go one way or the other. And what my uh, responsibility is is to keep reminding everyone: this is what the true Republican party is all about and we should not just change because a new president came in that he maybe is a little bit you know different in his approach and orders uh i think that we should really as republicans fight for total equality
0: have the people who've left the party
1: made the wrong decision no i, I look it's like it's like in, in in training you know in bodybuilding i mean there was guys that were doing 20 reps of 20 sets Uh, to get the the most muscular chest. And I was doing five different exercises of five sets each of 12 repetitions. So who was right and who was wrong? Well, you won the competitions. I won the competition, but these (laughs) other guys also had fantastic pectoral muscles and fantastic chest. And so there's different training principles to get in shape. You may say, you know, I like bicycling to keep in shape. Someone else says, I love running, uh, you know, kind of – Every day, my seven miles. Someone else says, you know, I like to go to the gym and go from one exercise machine to the next. So everyone, so there's a dispute about it, but who is right and who is wrong on the end, right? So that, to me, there is really no right and no wrong. I think what it is, is if someone feels like the Republican Party has left them, that they're not really leaving the Republican Party, but the Republican Party has left them. And therefore, I feel perfectly fine stepping out of the Republican Party and become an independent. That's the prerogative. You know, I think that if it makes them feel good, I support it 100 percent. And I would endorse a candidate like that anytime. Because to me, it comes always down to one thing. Where's the heart of that candidate? Is it to really help people or is it to kind of like just support the party and be a party hack? Do you worry that you're going to be the last one left? No, there's many. I mean, there's so many of us. I mean, think about, you know, the guy that I always love talking to, that kind of thinks like me, is John Kasich. And he and I, we both say, there's so many of us out there. You know, it's it's very clear that people are not, you know, people try to be supportive of Trump. And uh, that's good, Repo- Republicans should be supportive of Trump. Um, especially when it does something that's what uh, uh, well, I'm very supportive of some of the issues that he, uh, that he deals with and I'm not supportive when it comes to the environment
0: you uh, have a lot of thoughts about all this do you think about what you want your role to be over the course of this next year and as the country figures out what its future is politically
1: you know I want to be as supportive as possible to get uh, things done and to me, the, the America is the most important thing, not a political position. And uh, that's why I have no interest in running myself for anything, for Senate or for Congress or anything like that.
0: Um, I can't really imagine uh, you as a freshman member of the House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will be overnight... <laughs> a senior member (laughs) just because of
1: my age (laughs) but uh, but no but I, I just I think that I can do a lot of good from the outside I became very passionate about issues interesting thing here is is that when I ran my wife said to me you know that you will be very good in politics and you will be very good in running for office. You're competitive. You know exactly how to sell yourself, how to communicate and all of those kind of things. You're very disciplined and moving around and to get to the, to the rallies and to fire them up. And you always have the energy. and all that. But I guarantee you when it comes to sitting in your office and doing policy, you will get bored because I know you too well. And it, it, totally the opposite happened. I actually started really enjoying when I got into the office. And you never know those things about yourself. You know, we don't know. There's so many things we don't know about ourselves. When you get into a situation, all of a sudden, you find out a new you. And so I just happened to really be interested. Whenever they said, discussed an issue for an hour, and then they said, okay, let us work out the rest, let the governor go and go about this business. I always said, well, no, no, I, can we not stay a little longer? I want to hear the rest of it. You know, So I started getting really into it because I was always kind of fascinated by how to solve problems. So I think outside of politics, I can do a lot of things. I'm very passionate about it. I love having the Schwarzenegger Institute and in where we address a lot of those issues. I like to go overseas and talk about the environment. And we have our environmental conference in Vienna every year, the the, the Austrian World Summit and all those things. So I love what I'm doing because it's kind of like makes my life interesting and I feel like that I can, you know, accomplish my goal, which is to always think about how do we keep America the greatest country in the world. Because I feel so appreciative how America has received me, me with open arms when I came over here in 1968. And I always said, you know, somehow I have to give something back to America, because I will never forget this kind of a, opportunities that I gotten. So that's it's all part of that. It's kind of giving back and uh, doing something for America.
0: Let me ask you one last one here. You uh, have a movie coming out in which you play the president. That that, that wasn't a tease for you? Uh,
1: it's fun to, to, <laughs> to, to, to play something, at least. <laughs> that, that, that you can't be. This is why it's fun to play a CIA agent like you do in the movies or to play a cop in the movies. You know, the amount of cops that I played, my father always wanted me to be a cop, yeah. and to become a cop. And I, I didn't. I wanted to get a movie business. And so I played a cop in the movie business. So since I can't really... Uh, since we would not have comprehensive immigration reform where a foreign-born citizen can <laughs> run for president, I, uh, you know, I, it's, it's fun to play a president. Was it fun sitting behind that desk? Oh, the- it was great. Yeah, they, they had the, <laughs> the, the, the fun thing was it was actually the Oval Office of the 50s and 60s. So
0: it was more that era rather than, uh, than the more modern era. And, and you, you didn't feel like, oh, maybe I should try to make this real? Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think about it. Wouldn't it wouldn't be fun to sit here and to have the power and to kind of really work with the world together and to solve those problems and to take on those challenges. Yeah, of course, I think about that, but at the same time, I also think about oh, the a minute, you can't really complain about it too much because everything that I was accomplishing in my life or accomplished in my life was because of
0: America. All right. Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, thanks for being here on Radio Atlantic. Absolutely. That'll do it for this week of Radio Atlantic. Thanks to Kevin Townsend for producing and editing this episode, and to Catherine Wells, the executive producer for Atlantic Podcasts. Our theme music is The Battle Hymn of the Republic, as interpreted by John Baptiste. And if you want to support the show and all the work we do here at The Atlantic, the best way is with a subscription. Just go to theatlantic.com slash radio subscribe. Thanks for listening. Catch you next week.